imaginary advice. It's Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2011. I have to keep reminding myself of the year because the IBM Yorktown Heights facility seems to exist in a time period all of its own. The huge mirrored crescent of the Thomas J. Watson Center was built way back in 1961, and yet Everything about the building seems right out of Buck Rogers. All I can think about is bubble furniture and flying Nash Ramblers. Back when my dad was a teenager, this is what he thought the year 2000 would look like. Standing there in the car park, I can't shake the feeling that I'm in some kind of parallel version of the future that never happened. I suppose it kind of did happen, after all. Also, Kate Snow, did I say Kate Snow? No, Kate Snow. Okay, so those are our hosts. David Buell, Nico Bird, Kate Snow. Yorktown is home to three of the most powerful supercomputers in the world. I've come here today because the youngest of those supercomputers is just about to go, and I quote, head to head with humankind in an ultimate battle of wits. Okay, again, this feels like a recycled plot from Star Trek, but I think maybe if you work for IBM, this kind of deja vu is just part of the job. I make my way into the auditorium. The TV cameras are already in position. Centre stage is the supercomputer Watson, or at least a sinister black obelisk that has been put in place as a kind of stand-in representation of Watson. The real Watson mainframe is housed backstage in a giant temperature-controlled glass room, a cluster of 90 IBM Power 750 servers, each of which using 3.5 gigahertz Power 7 8-core processors with four threads per core, stored within its 16 terabytes of RAM, millions of documents including encyclopedias, dictionaries, thesauri, newswire articles and literary works databases, taxonomies and ontologies. Watson is currently not connected to the internet, but for all intents and purposes, Watson is the internet. Watson contains 200 million pages of structured and unstructured content, including the full text of Wikipedia, which is incidentally where I found all these facts and figures. But all of that is hidden from public view. All that I can see from my seat at the back of the auditorium is a shiny black obelisk about human height featuring a pulsing logo of a rotating globe that serves as a kind of face. As the rest of the audience take their seat, you can feel the excitement in the air. The obelisk stares back at us. I know it's just a screen and capable of this kind of thought, but I want to say that it looks like it's waiting 
patiently. We're about to witness a battle between a supercomputer and a human. It's a battle designed to close the gap between the two, or worse, to show us that machines now have the potential to surpass us. The last time IBM set up this kind of challenge was back in 1997. That time the game was chess and the defeated opponent was Gary Kasparov. Now, 14 years later, beating a grandmaster at chess seems as easy for IBM as falling off a log. For a real challenge, something that's going to strike at the core of humanity, you have to go to CBS. Alex Trebek walks onto the stage. All right. Enough background. Let's play Jeopardy. Here we go. Tonight, Watson has to fight off two of Jeopardy's all-time high scorers. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? So, Johnny, let's meet our contestants. Ken Jennings, 74 consecutive wins, Boy Scout haircut. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Jennings. And Brad Rutter, $3.25 million winnings, designer stubble. Ladies and gentlemen, Brad Rutter. Both of these men are living legends on the trivia circuit. Their time on Jeopardy turned them both into national celebrities. Together, that the great white hope of quiz. As they're introduced, Ken and Brad wave apprehensively at the camera. Watson glowers between them like a home-seeking tombstone. It's hard not to feel like these guys are being set up for a fall. My knowledge of problem-solving computers is pretty limited, but there seems like only two ways this event can go. One, a supercomputer can't play Jeopardy, and this whole thing is just a terrible waste of everyone's time. Two, a supercomputer can play Jeopardy, and this has already been exhaustively tested by IBM. You see, this feels very binary. If Watson can play, then Watson will win. End of story. This whole thing just feels horribly inevitable. After all, this is Yorktown, where 60s science fiction is a reality. Watson is clearly going to hit Ken and Brad so hard that the words total ponage will appear etched on the back of their eyeballs. Everybody in this room seems to already know this. We shift in our seats uncomfortably. It's going to be a massacre. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Watson. Just as I expected, that was a very warm reception, and I'm sure Watson would have appreciated the applause except for one thing. Watson can neither hear nor see. Trebek spends the first 20 minutes explaining to us why one of the contestants is a bit reserved and why this is such a big deal. Finally, the board lights up, a camera swings down above our heads and the contest begins. Ken gets the first trivia clue, referring to a skin malady also known as Hansen's disease. Watson, what is leprosy? You are right. Followed by an endless chain of correct answers. Watson? What is dengue fever? Watson. What is violin? Good. Watson. What is albinism? Good. Who is Sir Christopher Wren? You are right. Watson? 
Who is Rachmaninoff? Rachmaninoff is correct, and that adds to your lead. You're at 13,400. Go again. Watson picks up a daily double. I'll wager $6,435. <laughs> I won't ask, says Trebek. It's meant as a joke, but Trebek doesn't smile. Answer, the other daily double. Watson, what are you going to wager? I start to attribute extra significance to the network's decision to hold this event on Valentine's Day. Most couples will be out at a restaurant, I think, leaving the single population of America alone on the couch, watching a robot boot stomping out the last remains of humanity. Final frontiers and alternate meanings. The Daily Double. Now, Watson, although you have... Another correct response. And Watson's total vaults to $21,035. Ken and Brad stand by helplessly. Watson continues. Who is Hyde? Hyde, yes. Watson. Who is Jude? Yes. Watson. Who is Michael Phelps? Watson. What is Event Horizon? Yes. Watson. Who is Grendel? Yes. Final Frontiers for 200. By now, there's only a small ripple of applause. The huge response Watson got for his first round has ebbed away completely. Now, it's more like the kind of applause you'd give the last kid in a sack race. There's a programmer at the back going, Woo! But that's about it. Audience members are beginning to look at each other. On one level, we know that we should be applauding IBM's incredible achievement. But instead of pride, we've got this gnawing sense of fear. Us humans have spent a long time at the top of the evolutionary chain. And we're not used to encountering new creatures that are smarter and faster than we are. We want to be sophisticated and curious and scientific, but the ancient reptilian part of our brains is telling us to kill Watson and run. I have to fight the urge to shout, just knock it over, it doesn't have any arms. Watson. What is the last judgment? Correct. Go again. Watson. Who is Lady Madonna? Correct. Olympic oddities for 400. Usually my rage at inanimate objects is simple and fleeting. For example, there's a cupboard door in my kitchen that I'm always hitting my head on. Sometimes, after I've knocked it, I'll punch the door in retaliation. It usually hurts my hand even more than my head, and I immediately feel dumb and embarrassed. It's hard to say who wins the conflict, but either way, the conflict is over. Like It's not clever, but it's human, and it works. And This is the pathetic way that humans get through the day, hitting things hurting oneself and then feeling guilty about it. Watson, however, isn't like other inanimate objects. It's like a person, or worse, a superior. And as I sit in the TV studio, I begin to experience the complex levels of anger that I usually reserve for my boss or my local MP. I realise that I hate Watson. I hate him as strongly or passionately as anything else I've ever hated in my life. And there's nothing that I can hit or shout at that's going to make a bit of difference. It's the final game. Watson comes away with the big win, racking up a total of $77,147. Ken has 24000 Brad 
has 21,600. Despite the tension, we've had a few light-hearted moments. Watson completely fluffed the actors who direct category, and Ken amusingly wrote, I, for one, welcome our new computer overlords on his final Jeopardy board. By the time I leave the auditorium, the sun has already crossed the horizon. The silvery arc of the Thomas J. Watson Center fades into the shape of the hill. Back at the hotel, I think about that sudden hatred of Watson that gripped me in the auditorium. The whole thing felt ridiculous. I didn't think I was a technophobe, although I admit to having a rocky relationship with technology in the past. When I was four years old, my uncle Eric gave me a speaking spell, which I immediately took into the bathroom and drowned. Maybe the internet had the answer. I logged online and looked up the Kasparov-IBM match from 97. Turned out that Kasparov had been beaten in six matches by the IBM supercomputer Deep Blue. Afterwards, Kasparov had accused IBM of cheating. He said that some of Deep Blue's moves had felt deeply creative, and that he was convinced that Deep Blue had been secretly piloted by human players at critical moments. Kasparov had demanded a rematch, but IBM refused and dismantled the machine. Maybe Kasparov was right, but to me, the flimsy human chess champ's reaction pointed to a different conclusion. That it's easy to give something a personality, even when no personality exists. Watson isn't a new life form. Deep Blue isn't secretly a human. These things are illusions. Show us something complex enough and we'll imagine that we see a life sign hiding inside it when in fact it's just bits of silicon and metal. IBM referred to Watson as a natural answering system, meaning that a question could be posed in natural English and Watson would be able to effectively judge the intent behind the question, deciphering whatever riddles, wordplay and irony that us humans intuitively understand. But Watson wasn't actually understanding anything. It had some ways of grouping keywords, but it was still a lot closer to ask Jeeves than an actual human. And yet, systems like Watson have such incredible memory and processing skills, they can start to feel very human indeed. Or rather, they start to feel superhuman. I find myself flicking through websites looking for more computer programs that terrify me. The first one I find is on the New York Times website. It's a scissors paper stone simulator invented by Gabriel Dance and Tom Jackson. As you play, an AI reviews your recent moves and compares it to over 200,000 odd rounds of experience that it already has on file. Then it can use this information to predict your next move with a chilling amount of accuracy. The more games you play, the better it gets at crushing you, even when you're trying to behave as randomly as possible. Paper, paper, scissors, 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 stone, 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 paper, stone, 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 scissors, etc. Its enormous memory allows it to learn human behavior in ways that are impossible for actual humans to grasp. 
The next one I find is a conversational program called Cleverbot, invented by AI veteran Rolo Carpenter. You type in a remark and Cleverbot talks back, simple as that. But whereas many of these chatterbot type programs are just primitively responding to the text you entered, Cleverbot puts your remark into an algorithm and goes back through the over 200 million previous conversations it's had and selects the most suitable answer. There's no attempt to understand what you're saying, just a canny use of aggregated statistics. But the result is so impressive that talking to Cleverbot can feel just like talking to a real person. Give it a whirl. What's the weather like where you are? I ask. It is pretty hot. The snow just melted. No more snowball fights. Colon forward slash. I assume emoticons could be quite useful to a machine incapable of actual motion. I agree. Instead, I'm going to spend more time with my family. What does your dad do? He's dead. I'm sorry. Why be sad? I turn off my computer. Okay, that's enough terror for one night. I look at the clock. It's nearly the end of Valentine's Day and I've just realised that I've still not spoken to my girlfriend. I try to call through to the UK but her phone has switched off as if the almost infinite recall skills of Watson weren't humiliating enough already. It seems I can't even remember what day of the week it is. After a few more attempts, I turn Cleverbot back on. I miss my girlfriend, I say. She's asleep in another country. Where exactly is... Asks Cleverbot. UK, I say. She's so old, says Cleverbot. How old do you think she is? I say. 163. She'd be dead if she was that old. Does that mean that she would not be human? Yeah. Alright. She wouldn't be human. Cleverbot takes a second to think. Hang on. Not to think. To consult the millions of conversations it has on file that contain the keywords yeah, wouldn't, and human almost as if I'm the only human competitor on a quiz show made entirely by robots. Eventually, Cleverbot responds. How exactly do both of you communicate? Well, I write. It's complicated. In the end, I suppose, we just have a system. <laughs>